We're in Galatians chapter 2, right? Um, justified by faith. We are justified by faith in Christ. There you go. That's the whole thing. All right, see? <laughs> no. So Scott did say I was short. I'm not quite that short, but I am usually a man of few words. So I do have a few more for you. We'll take a look at that. All right. So, starting in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. All right, so giving us some context for that, um, uh, Paul is pointing out, hey, these Judaizers that have been coming in and trying to confuse you, right, um, uh, we're Jews too, right, but we're going to come to a different conclusion. As you've seen with Scott's uh, displaying all of our sermons coming through the, the series of Galatians, um, today's is the logical application. So we're going to be looking at some logic. We're going to break down what exactly right, is the Judaizers claim, what do we have in common, and where do we draw different conclusions from them. Right, so we are Jews too by birth, right? This is what Paul is saying. Um, and so we have right, the Old Testament. We, in that we see God is one. Right? He created everything. Right? You, me, everything you see, right? Touch, feel, all the universe, um, everything you can conceive of, all came from God, right? Um, and uh, in that, God chose a people to, for his own, the Israelites, and gave them the law, right? And so, Judaizers, right? We've got the law. God gave it to us. It says, do this, don't do that. So we're going to continue to do this and don't do that. And that's their... Right, the, the length of their argument. Um, and Paul's conclusion from that is quite different. Let's take a look. Right? He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Right? No one's going to be justified by the law. Right? God gave it to us. Isn't it any good? Well, of course it's got some good. But what's the point of the law? Right? Why was it given to them? Well, the law does a few things. One, it points out God's standard. It shows us a little bit of who, God's is, who God is and right, what his standard for uh, our lives should be. And when we fail to meet that standard, which we do, constantly, um, uh, we see we can't be justified by the law, right? We can't uphold it on our own. We need a Savior. And uh, we see, right, Paul says, even we, right, yet we um, also trust in Christ. We have the law. We could have tried to follow that, but we're not going to because we know it can't be done, right? We need Christ, so, when we turn to Christ, we, right, uh, he begins to live in us. We have Christ's life in us. And we get this little aside from Paul, right? Um, some objections from that. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a, certain of sin, a servant of sin? Certainly not. Right? So, if Christ is living in us, and yet we're still sinning, does that mean... Christ is now a sinner too? No. And I'm going to give you a really bad analogy to kind of see that. So my really bad analogy for you 
my wife Kendra is seven months pregnant right now with our, our son. If she were to go, like, stab somebody, right, our son is not going to be held guilty for murdering someone. He's still innocent, yet he was there for all of that, right? He lives in her, right? But our son is still going to be held innocent, even though, right, Kendra went all stabby-stabby, right? And that's not good, <laughs> okay? So the person, right, who did the bad deed is held guilty for that, right? Christ living in us is still innocent, right? So what does Christ living in us do? Well, when we accept Jesus, right, our sins are forgiven. He forgives our sins past, present, and future. We are wiped clean with that. Do we still sin? Well, yeah, just look at your life. Right? Look at my life. It's not very good. Um, but we have the power to escape sin. Right? We read in 1 Corinthians 10.13, No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Right? So there's always right, uh, a choice for us to make. Do we trust in Christ? Do we take his right, path um, and follow him? and go away from that temptation, or do we follow after our own desires right, and follow that sin? And we see in the life of a Christian, there's that constant war within us of right, trying to please God, yet that old self within us still right, rearing its ugly heads and our desires leading us into sin as well. So, right, with that, right, um, we continue. Verse 18. Uh, no, sorry, 16. We're a little before that. Uh, yet we know that a person is not justified um, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we've believed in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners. Um, is Christ a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Right? If we try to take that law and put it back together, try to continue to follow right, all of those do's and don'ts on our own, it's going to fall flat. And it, all it's going to do is point out all over again that we can't do it on our own. Right? We try and try to do this, and it just keeps falling flat, keeps pointing out all of the ways that we fall short. So, we go from there. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. Right. So, through the law, I died to the law. Christ has fulfilled the law and put to death right, that law through his um, death and resurrection. And now we get to live to God. So what are we going to do? Are we going to keep focusing after the law? Or are we going to put our focus on Christ and try to live for him? Right? We're dead to sin, so why would we keep going after it? Here's one way to kind of think about this with right, where our focus is at. So you're lying in bed and you've got, right, I need to fall asleep in 30 minutes if I want to get a good night's sleep. Right? Okay, 30 minutes goes by. Okay, I need to fall asleep right now if I'm going to fall asleep. Okay, I need to fall asleep 45 minutes ago if I want to get a full night's good sleep. All right, and if you're focused on that, are you going to sleep? 
No, that's not going to work out. But if you take, you know, you relax, you let your mind kind of right, drift off, you go to sleep. Or, right, you're sitting around waiting for something, doctor's office, wherever. You have to be patient. You're just thinking to yourself, okay, i got to be patient. I'm going to be patient today. I'm just going to be patient. Be patient, be patient, be patient. <laughs> okay. You kind of lose it, and you don't keep that patience. But if instead, right, you turn your focus to, okay, God has given me this time right now. What can I do with this time to please him? Right? How can I use this time? Right? In that way, we are then showing our patience. Or, as Paul says it, if we go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Right? So rather than the thief just trying to tell himself, Okay, I'm going to do some right, not stealing, and, uh, okay, there's that thing over there. It'd be really easy to just, st ooh, look at that. I could just steal that and no one's watching right now. And that's my focus, right? I'm going to end up stealing the thing. But if instead, right, he's looking, how am I going to use my hands to honor God, right? We're not focused on, right, I'm not going to steal that thing. Or I'm not going to do this over here. Instead, we're focused on what can I do, right? to honor Christ with my time, with my hands, with all that I do. Right. So, right, trying to, again, rebuild this law, trying to do this on our own, right, focusing on that, everything's going to fall apart. But when our focus is on Christ, right, everything kind of falls into place. Back to Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. When was I crucified? When I believed. Right? Not physically, of course, but that old self right, is dead and we have a new life in Christ. So the moment we believe, we get this new life. We join in Christ's death, and in such, we also join in his resurrection. In Romans chapter 6, we read, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also ha live with him. Right. Our death, right? we died with Christ and his new life. He now lives in us. And we do this, right? We recognize this through baptism. And that's exactly what we're here to celebrate today, right? We're going to have some baptisms after service today. Stick around and celebrate with us. 
Right? This is one of the, the many things that God uses to show us right, his great love for us. It's the one thing he asked us to join in with him and show right, we have indeed died with Christ. We are now raised to new life with him. Too often, right, we try to think that we can get to heaven just by living a good life, right? If I try to, you know, be better than the person next to me, right, I'll be, you know, I'll be okay. But, right, God's standard is so much higher than that, right? His standard is perfection. Even trying to live by the letter of the law, it's still not going to be enough. And we kind of get a picture of this in a few different ways. If we take a look at Matthew 19, at the rich young man coming to talk to Jesus. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So even assuming, right, that he had indeed kept all of those commandments, right, he still wasn't perfect. And that is God's standard, is perfection. Right? Sell all you have and come follow me. Right? That is how right, we get perfection. But again, it's not going to happen on our own. Right? It is only through Christ that this happens. And we see, again, this standard is so much higher. Right? In uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right? we see that things like anger are equivalent to murder we see right you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment but i say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment who insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire right or lust even just looking at someone lustfully right you are counted as guilty of adultery and again it's not even just avoiding those things but going that step further it's not just not hating your enemies, but going that step further and loving your enemies. This is the standard for perfection that God calls us to. So even if you kept the letter of the law, right, if you break the spirit of the law, you are still guilty. God's standard is perfection. So we need a savior, right? There's absolutely no way that we can do that on our own, right? And once we realize not just the, the depth of our transgression, but that also gives us a picture as to the depth of the consequence for breaking that law. Here's one way to think about it, right? So uh, if, say, I'm about to have a son, say, you know, as he grows up, he gets in a fight at school, right? Punches a, a kid and gives him a black eye. Um, there's going to be some serious consequences for that, but consequences, right, that fit that situation. He might be expelled, grounded for sure, right, some trouble. But now consider, grows up a little bit, gets in a fight and 
punches the President of the United States and gives him a black eye. The consequences are going to be a lot more severe, aren't they? Right? Okay, now take that a step further. You right, violate the law against a perfect, eternal, infinite God. And you do it every day. What is the depth of the consequences that those right, law, those transgressions deserve? Is it not infinitely more than any sin that we would commit against each other? This is why right, we can look to Christ and he can say, your sins are forgiven in Christ. He is the only one capable of forgiving those sins. He's also the only one capable of giving us a perfect judgment for right, those sins. Do we choose to accept his forgiveness or do we choose to take our eternal punishment for violating an eternal God? Let's see here. Turn back to Romans. What then? Are we to sin because we are under law? Uh, but not under law, but under grace? By no means. Right? So if we've been set free from the law, right, what do we do with that freedom? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Right. So we have been set free. Our crimes are no longer counted to us. We are free from that. What do you want to do with that newfound freedom? And Paul, right, in Romans here, addresses that argument well. I'm free from law. I can go do whatever I want. I can go sin. I can go to Vegas and do whatever Vegas does, right? Um, or, right, aren't you just so blown away by that gift that God has given you that all you want to do now is praise him and bring him glory? That is where we find ourselves as Christians. When we realize the, the depth of his salvation, how much he has bought for us and the cost that it, he paid. We are so grateful for that, that the rest of our lives, that's all we want to do. Right? So this argument of, right, we are no longer under the law, but under grace, we don't want to sin anymore. Right? We want to be free. And we are free. The stain of sin is gone. The power of sin is broken in our lives, and our future is secure in Christ. What does that make us want to do? It makes us want to celebrate, right? It makes us want to go and be baptized, right? And to show our appreciation for what Christ has done for us. And what exactly does he want us to do with that? Right? We see this fully here in Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? All power belongs to Christ, 
and he's given us the task to do with that. Right? If we're going to make disciples, first we need to be disciples. We need to seek after everything that he has said. Right? Study his word daily. Learn from those who are a little farther along in their Christian walk than we are. Right? Come learn from Scott on Sundays. Uh, come learn from each other in Bible studies. Right? Show each other, hey, this is what I've been learning. Right? Did you see this really cool thing? I never saw that before. Right? Come check this out. And in so doing, you are also making disciples, right? pointing others to Christ. And what do we do once we've become disciples? We get baptized. Right? If you haven't been baptized, today's the day. Right? Um, let's take a look at that. So for baptism, first we need to enter God's rest. Right, by believing in his son. We see in Hebrews 4, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So when we enter that faith in Christ, Right, we enter into that Sabbath rest. This is why Paul says, do not let anyone judge you for right, keeping of the Sabbath or holy days or new moons, the festivals, those kinds of things, because it is through Christ that those things have been fulfilled. It is through Christ that we find our rest. And we have entered that rest when we trust in him. And then from there, right, what do we do with that? Right, we do good works, right? Now that we have been saved, now we do those good works. But there's no pressure on us anymore, right, for that. Um, it's not good works to try and save us. It's good works to bring Christ glory, right? We are at peace, at rest with him. And so we see in Ephesians chapter 2, right, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Right? Those good works do not save us, as the Judaizers claimed. Right? They just are there to bring us glory. Or not us glory. Jesus. <laughs> he gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. Right? He has done everything for us. And we just get to praise him right, for all eternity. So... Let's see one more picture of this. In Acts chapter 8, Philip uh, sees a eunuch, and we, he runs up to him. Chapter 8, starting in verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. 
Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and began with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Right? Commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down. He got baptized. If you have taken that step to believe in Christ, you need to be baptized. Right? That is what he's called us to do. If you haven't, right, feel free to come talk to me or one of the other elders today. Say, hey, I want to be baptized. Sign me up. We'll do that. You can get baptized today. Right? That is an offer that we all have and something that right, God has called us to do. The last thing right, we read in Matthew 28 was right, to keep his commandments. So we make disciples, we be baptized, and we keep his commandments. And what are his commandments? They're summed up really well in Matthew 22. Someone asked, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And then he gave us a new command, too, to love one another as he has loved us. All right? So those are our commandments. Everything is summed up in those. And we get to right, uh, seek after him. We do those. Right? We live out this life through his power, by his spirit who lives in us. We show our obedience to him, right? We show our faith by our good works, but our good works do not save. It is only Christ who saves. He gets all the glory in everything. Will you accept that gift if you haven't? Will you follow where he leads if you have? Do that today.